Well, when we do think about the Lord, what can we do? But seek to love Him better, give our heart to Him more fully, and to serve Him. So we'll be uh, talking about those kinds of things over the next few moments. I hope you have your Bible. We've been asking you to bring that across the summer. And I'm going to give you a head start. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. This coming Saturday on the 4th of July... Sammamish is going to be having a big uh, celebration on the plateau there at the City Hall Commons area. Uh, They'll be having a 45-minute fireworks thing at the end of the day. If you don't have plans, you might want to come have fun. I'm going to be out there all day because uh, I'm involved with a Rotary Club that has a hamburger hot dog stand. I'm going to be cooking burgers and dogs all day and serving them and all that kind of thing. And in order to do that... Because I've done that in a volunteer kind of way before, but I've never done it in a booth that like sold the, the stuff. So I had to go get a health card kind of thing. Have you ever done that? How many of you got the food server thing? Okay. I'm just curious if you had the same instructor I had. <laughs> so I go to this class, and uh, I had to read a little thing before I got there. And uh, so I go to this class, and there's about 60 of us that are sitting together in this class. And when the hour is struck, the instructor came to the front. The doors were locked and barred. Nobody could come in late. And the instructor, here's the greeting. I'm in charge. You're not. I'm talking. You're not. Are we clear? Excuse me. Excuse me. There is no eating in this room. If you really like to eat, then you can go out here and you can take this class on another day. Excuse me. I'm talking. You're not. And I'm telling you, she had my attention. That went on for 90 minutes. She would talk for a while, and if she saw somebody just kind of look like they were going to say something to someone, she would strike them down. And uh, for 90 minutes, she was barking and intimidating and uh, inviting people to leave and just exercising her power and her authority. Uh, it was quite the trip. I was really, really glad to finish the course, take the test, and leave. Uh, it felt good to get in my car and drive away. And uh, I've talked with some of you about your work situation, and some of you have a boss like that. And you've told me stories that make me shudder when I hear about the leadership culture that's going on in your place of work. I'm like, how messed up can a, a place of that stature be. I, I, I'm, I continue to be stunned when I see poor leadership and leadership cultures in a variety of industry and business that's around us. On the other side, some of you have talked to me from time to time about bosses, leaders, and you do so in a context of gratitude. And I love to hear those kind of leadership stories uh, where men and women get it about what it means to be a servant leader who cares about the people he or she leads and exercises compassion and wisdom and uh, knows how to bring the best out of people and, and work in such a way that it benefits all. I love that kind of stuff. Well, these days, we're talking about the church. And churches have 
leaders. And some of you have had church experiences in times past that are not unlike some of the horror stories we just detailed about the business community. And you've had leaders who were autocratic and dictatorial and authoritative and, you know, uh, basically, as the Bible would call it, lording it over you on some kind of trip for themselves at your expense. And some of you have been hurt by these churches and you've been hurt by these leaders. And I cannot tell you through the years how many people I have met that have quit, quit, quit. I mean, it's over. I'm never going back church because of the way leadership happened or didn't in their church. So, conversely, how awesome is it within the body of Christ when you have godly leadership? Leadership that's like Jesus. Leadership that loves you well, that knows your heart, that knows God, that knows how to do life journey with you. I mean, who doesn't love? I love to be led well, particularly in the things of God. And so today we're talking about who leads a church. How is that arrived at? How do we figure that out? And we're going to be examining the Bible to figure that out. So let me say right off the beginning, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Belongs. He owns the deal, right? And not only that, he is the head of the church. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. So when we start talking about how does leadership happen in a church, first and foremost it happens with Jesus as the head, as the lead of his church. Any other leadership hat, if you will, or role that we'd want to talk about happens under the headship of Jesus Christ. So having said that, the Bible does talk about some leadership roles, and let's just talk about them for a moment in a kind of big picture way. One of the words that the Bible uses to describe church leaders is the word deacon. The word uh, has come to mean a lot of things in a lot of different contexts and congregations. But basically, the old Greek word just means servant. Now, um, in 1 Timothy 3, that we're going to read a moment, beginning at verse 8, we have a list of qualifications for deacons. And we're not going to examine that as closely today as we are the one uh, about elders and others. But in there, when you look at the qualifications, they all have to do with character. They don't have a thing to do with skill as much as they do character. Is this person a person that is like Christ? And in our church, we have a number of deacons, but we don't call them deacons. We uh, have chosen not to use that word because there's a lot of confusion around the word. So our deacons are referred to as small group leaders or ministry team leaders. So every person that leads one of our small groups or every person that leads one of our ministry teams, children's ministry, youth ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, all that kind of, they all meet 
deacon qualifications as you find in 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following. Another word that the Bible uses to talk about leaders is the word overseer. And sometimes that word is translated as elder or pastor or bishop. They're all pretty much interchangeable type words. And the overseer or the elder likewise has qualifications that are listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And that's where we're going to spend some time to look at that today to see what the Bible says is the qualification of an elder, somebody that's going to lead in the church. Let's uh, begin with 1 Timothy 3. So Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Some other versions will read it this way. If anyone aspires to be an elder... That is a noble thing. So right out of the gate, you see that someone that is going to to serve in this kind of capacity has a heart to do it, has a desire to do it. Loves God, loves people, loves the church, wants to see the cause of Christ advance. I want to give my life and invest my life in this kind of way. Verse 2, Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. We'll come back and talk more about that. Turn just a few pages to your right in your Bible, and there you are at the book of Titus, chapter 1. We'll pick it up verse 5. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we're going to take a few minutes to talk about that. Now, I recognize on the front end, some of you are in here today and you got some real challenges in your marriage, in your parenting, and your finances, maybe in your personal health. You may have walked in the door today and you said, you know, I, I just really need a moment with God. I need to, to sense Him, to feel Him. I need His help. And then I get up and say, we're going to talk about church leaders today. 
And you may be going, I was hoping for something else. Listen, all I can say to you is that the church is extremely important to Christ. And for those of us that claim to be followers of Christ, it must be of equal importance to us, not only in her purpose and mission, but in her conduct and administration. How does a church function in a way that it honors God and blesses people? And having the right people in the right place as leaders is key to that. So, in a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table. I'm going to share a few words with you there. And I'm going to be praying and trusting that God ministers to some of the disturbance that might be in some of your hearts. But for right now, I'm going to ask if you'll get on the page with what I think God's led us to talk about today, and that is His church and those that lead it. So what does it mean for uh, someone to meet the qualifications of an elder? Well, first of all, I said they've got to be above reproach. That is to say, they must have a morality, an ethic, a character, a track record with their behavior that does not even have a hint of being dishonest or immoral or anti the way of Christ in any way. Above reproach. High bar. High bar. And while we're talking about this, you might just allow your mind to scan over the life of this church. Who do I know like this? Am I like this? Because what God's going to be calling for in leaders is exactly what He's calling for in the rest of us that follow leaders. Above reproach. Secondly, we saw a husband of one wife. Now, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of interpretation across a lot of denominations about what that phrase means and what it includes and excludes. Here's how we have wrestled with the text and settled that issue for us at Meadowbrook. First of all, it means that if an elder is married, he has an exemplary marriage. We do not believe that it requires an elder to be married. I think there's very good evidence in the text that uh, Paul was single, and certainly we know Jesus was single. I don't care what the Da Vinci Code says. So uh, I think the case is very well founded in the Scriptures that one does not have to be married in order to be a leader in the church or certainly an elder. So if he is married, that he has an exemplary marriage. We've also continued to wrestle not only with this text, but with the greater counsel of the New Testament. And if someone has been divorced in many churches, that excludes them from being an elder. In our church, we've uh, settled the issue in this kind of way. If an, if an individual has uh, repented of their failed marriage, been confessional, owned it, uh, allowed God to discipline them and correct them and rebuild their life. And after that, uh, whether they've remarried or not, they have a solid track record of following Christ for some period of time. We will consider that person for an elder role. Uh, if they're married, then we're just like anybody else looking to see that they have an exemplary Marriage. You don't want to be able to look at their marriage and go, okay, that's something of what God intended for marriage. 
In the third place, the scripture says that an elder's got to be temperate. That is to say, kind of even tempered. Doesn't get too excited too quickly. Is not impulsive. Says that he's self-controlled. Not uh, jumping around about this and that. Uh, but has this kind of spirit control upon his life that has him responding to the things of God and the things of this world as Jesus would. In the fifth place, it says he must be respectable. That is to say, it's not hard to respect this person. Now, we're supposed to work to respect all kinds of people, but sometimes that's hard. Amen? Okay. Uh, no elbows, please. But uh, for an elder, it's got to be somebody that's easy to respect. You can look at this guy and go, oh, man, I, I really appreciate who he is and what Christ has done in his life. And then in the sixth place, hospitable. Now, this is not Martha Stewart hospitality. We're not looking for elders that know how to bake a certain kind of food or, you know, put on a certain kind of presentation with a banquet. We're talking about people that know how to engage the lives of others and make them feel significant, make them feel welcome, uh, bring an embrace, the embrace of Christ to their life. And sometimes that means you do that by opening up your home and sharing your resources. Other times it means the way you conduct yourself in your workplace, in your other social circles. Uh, but people find it easy to be with you. And in fact, they want to be. It's engaging to them to be with you. And then in the seventh place, able to teach. Now, we don't think that means necessarily platform teaching, where an elder would be expected to do what I'm doing right now on a platform, but rather, whether it's in a small group or it's in one of our Mike's courses, or if it's just in a one-on-one -on -one discipling context, this person knows Christ, the things of Christ, the Word of Christ, in such a way that he can share and dispense and teach that, able to do that. And then in the eighth place, not given to drunkenness. Anybody think that's a bad idea to have a drunken elder? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, to, to be more clear, uh, not addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to any other kind of thing. In other words, addiction-free. Not going to be controlled by any outside thing, but controlled in submission to Christ. In the ninth place, not violent. I love some of the older versions that say pugnacious. You know, some words I just like to say. So not pugnacious. Um, but that is to say, knows how to be gentle. Not a doormat, not somebody that you just walk all over, not like milk toast, but Christ-like gentleness. Approachability. Kindness. Even though he might be, you know, strong in the things of God, there's still this soft and tender-hearted thing that comes through. And then in the tenth place, not quarrelsome. Now, this doesn't mean that he shies away from a good debate. But it means that he's not argumentative in the sense that some are just contrarian. And it doesn't matter what the positions are at stake. They just want to argue about it. Not an elder. An elder has conviction, has clarity about the things of God, the Word of God, the doctrine of God, etc., and can engage you about that, but is not just this argumentative, always picking a fight about whatever type person. In the 11th place, not a lover of money. 
Now that does not mean must on the opposite end be a hater of money, but rather is not controlled by the desire for money, the making of money, the spending and dispersing of money, but understands money to be what it is, a tool to help provide for things of life and to bless other people, to extend the cause of Christ and the kingdom, etc. So uh, not a lover of money. And in the twelfth place, manages his family well, if he has one. Because the church is like a family. Not like a business corporation with CEO who tells the minions what to do and all that kind of thing. It's like a family. And if a guy doesn't know how to manage his family and his children well, then likely he won't be able to do that in the family of God very well. And so how he conducts his home life is very important. And we're specifically talking about when he has children that are of the age that are in his home and under his roof. And so if an elder has done that through all the years and then his 30-year-old kid goes crazy, uh, that doesn't become a disqualifier at that point. That's on the 30-year-old kid. And then in the 13th place, not a recent convert. Uh, some of you remember when you first came to Christ, how exciting, how stimulating, how stirring it was. You could be so excited and so on like that. But if something more substantive and deep doesn't happen for you along the way, that stuff fizzles out. So you cannot uh, be turned by the enthusiasm of a new convert and go, oh, he would make a great elder because that might fizzle out. You've got to give this person time to get deep in the Lord and to create a track record of examination that says he will be consistent, he will persevere when everything's not going great, but when life, in fact, is very hard. And uh, with respect to our church, it's not a biblical mandate, it's just kind of a rule of thumb that we've made here, is if uh, someone has come to our church, then uh, under the auspices of this principle, we want to be able to examine their life for at least a couple of years. And so we wouldn't usually consider somebody to be an elder, whether they said they'd been a Christian for 10 years or two months, until they had been with us for at least a couple of years. We want them to know who we are, we want to know who he is, and we do some life with them uh, that allows us to see what God's up to. In the 14th place, an elder is someone who has a good reputation with outsiders. That is, outside the church, outside the community of faith. In other words, if we came to your work and you're an elder and somebody else found that out, they wouldn't go, he is an elder? It would not be a surprise. Because they've been able to observe and consider your character and your integrity. And it would just go, oh, that makes sense. I can see where his church would want him in that kind of way. And in the 15th place, not overbearing or self-willed kind of like my uh, instructor at the health card thing it's not about bossing people and imposing your will and making sure that everybody is towing a line and... but it's somebody that uh, can be gracious and considerate understanding uh, as we talked about with some other characteristics and in the 16th place not quick tempered uh, now, there are certain things and certain times when it's altogether appropriate for followers of Christ to become 
uh, on behalf of Christ and His church, indignant, angry, angry at sin, angry at our enemy, angry at the outcomes of sin. It's altogether appropriate. So uh, this is not what this is talking about. This is talking about quick temper. That means it doesn't have a short fuse. It's not like you can just look at him and... Or you can say something that is different from his opinion and he just kind of blows up. Not quick-tempered. And then 17, loves what is good. Just loves the things of God, the ways of God, the outcomes of God. Has a heart for that kind of thing. And then 18, upright. Just. Fair. Uh, Doesn't want to see injustice prevail or even continue but works for the downtrodden, the oppressed those that uh, don't have a voice to speak for themselves and 19 holy, some versions render it as devout and as we said many times in here, the word holy isn't just talking about right behavior but it's it's talking about a life that is separated unto God I am no longer my own. I'm God's. I'm in His hand. I live for His purposes. He may do with me in His hand anything that He wants to do. That's a holy person. Not just somebody who's moralistic. And then in the last place that I'll mention, and there's a lot more we can say, but I thought 20 would be enough for right now. um, Holds firm to the faithful word. Now, that is to say, knows the Word, can't hold it if you don't know it, is impacted, penetrated, shaped, corrected, built by the Word, and is held as much as holds onto the Word. And this also involves some of the things I'll talk about in a minute uh, with the correcting of that which is against the word. So let's talk about in the second place what is the work of an elder. And the rest of this is much more brief, so take a breather, okay? Much more brief. Uh, what's the work of an elder? Well, one, he's to shepherd the flock. You go, uh, shepherd? What? You know, just let your mind conjure up images of what a shepherd does with respect to a flock. Everything that a shepherd does with respect to a flock is the kind of thing an elder does within a church. Acts 20.28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Shepherd could lead the flock to feeding, to pasture, to safety, to protection. Could uh, work with the flock in such a way that life is at its best and, and maximized rather than in perilous state. Shepherding the flock in 1 Peter 5 looks like this. To the elders among you, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. In the second place, uh, elders lead through example. They not only shepherd, but they lead, and their leadership happens by example. Not by edicts and and, uh, by proclamations, but Primarily by example. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 1 Peter 5.3 In the third place, an elder teaches and exhorts. 1 Timothy 3.2 The overseer must be able to teach. We said that a moment ago. And in the fourth place, 
The elder refutes those who contradict the truth. Titus 1.9 An overseer must encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You still got pictures in your mind of people around our congregation in this kind of way? And then in the fifth place, an elder is someone that can manage the church of God. Now, um, 1 Timothy 3.5, again, it's in the context of family. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? When we use the word manage in the 21st century, we often think about business managers. Numbers and figures and uh, bottom lines and keeping things in the black. Don't let them get in the red. And, and that's the kind of model that a whole lot of churches have adopted for their elders and for their deacons. That they kind of are like business managers, making sure that it stays a well-oiled machine. And certainly we have to give attention to all that, and our elders do pay attention to numbers. But more than that, as shepherds, as exemplary leaders, manage like a family, making sure that relationships are staying intact, that people are loving one another well, that there's a deep sense of uh, connection and community going on across the body, that like a body, there is health and not sickness. And then in the sixth place, pray for the sick. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him. And anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And uh, certainly, we uh, invite, you know, whenever we have challenges as well as sickness, uh, a number of people to pray. It's not like the elders are the only ones that can pray. If the church only has elders that pray, then they're in trouble. But uh, certainly there are those times where you'd want to call upon elders to come and pray over you and anoint you with oil. And we do that. And uh, we've seen God answer prayers in wondrous ways. In the third place, how do we go about selecting elders? Well, as we read the two texts a moment ago, we see that the biblical model was that those who were already in leadership appointed elders in the various congregations along the way. Uh, our leaders here had a very significant part in calling forth other leaders. And so uh, even as I speak, uh, we've been in conversation with a few about uh, their prayerful consideration about being an elder starting in the fall. I don't know exactly what will happen with that, but we're in that process of conversation. And uh, they're in the process of prayer. If it moves beyond that, then there will be some elder group interview and examination and prayer and so on. And if it moves beyond that, ultimately we'll bring the candidate or candidates before you. And we'll have a forum, a church family gathering, and uh, let you know who we've been talking about and pray and, and pursue that together. But it, it does begin with leaders who are uh, sensing what God's doing in the lives of some others, and then it progresses on to the rest of the church family. What's the term of service for an elder? If you've been involved in other churches, you uh, are acquainted with some having like rotations. Somebody serves for three years and then they must be off for at least one before they can serve another three and all that. We don't do any of that. Uh, we don't find the scriptures prescribing a term of service, and so we don't prescribe a term of service. Uh, rather, we ask an elder, in fact, we ask all of our leaders, our deacon leaders, to give us a 12-month commitment 
and at the end of that 12-month period to check in with us and let us know, do you still think God's calling you and tapping you to serve in this kind of way? If so, we affirm that and bless them into another 12-month run. If not, then we explore with them what's God going to do with you instead. And uh, July and August are that time of the year for us where all of our leaders are praying about what happens come September when a new ministry year begins for us. And so everything that you just saw with children, we be checking in with all children's leaders, and then they will check in with children's workers about who's going to be uh, up for September. The same thing will happen with youth and with men and with women, with all of our small group leaders. The same thing happens with elders. And uh, we check in with each other about the continuation of service. Now, as you think about what runs through your grid, your paradigm of leaders in the other arenas of your life and what goes on within the church, let me just draw these distinctions. Uh, in other arenas, you've got to have somebody that's self-confident. In our arena, it's got to be somebody that's very confident in God. In the other arenas, it's got to be somebody that understands people, knows men well. In our arena... It helps to know men, but you've got to know God. I'm not talking about acquaintance. Know Him in a very relational kind of way. Outside of here, uh, leaders are all about making their own decisions. Inside of here, it's about seeking God's will and making decisions in line with His will. Out there, it's about ambitious pursuits and conquering hills and all this kind of thing. In here, elders and, and our best leaders are self-effacing. It's not about us building our own kingdoms, our own turf. It's about us being humble and controlled under the Spirit of God. Out there, we uh, reward innovation, arriving at uh, creative new methodologies, in here, it's about finding God's methodologies. How does God want this to happen next? What are the steps that He would outline for us? Out there, leaders enjoy having their authority, giving command. In here, leaders are those who delight to obey God. Out there... It's all about independence. In here, it's all about God dependence. Friends, the leadership of church, when it's done well and when it's done right and when it's done in a godly way, is the most leadership intensive, leadership challenging place in the world. Because unlike the business world, unlike the military, any other arena you want to talk about, church leaders have no leverage except their own example and the prayers of God's Spirit to work on the hearts of people. Every day, I'm reminded, and most of our leaders are reminded, every day, I got no power here. We have no power here. 
We can't and wouldn't make you do anything, even if it's right. It has to be something that God's Spirit stirs in you and there's an inner compelling. And so we must live with you and love you and pray for you and lead you in ways that His Spirit brings that inner compelling. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. We will not manipulate you, bully you, uh, try to force you to do anything around here. Now, if that's not leadership intensive and challenging, I don't know what is. So, let me finish with this. How do you respond to what we've been talking about? Do you know Christ? As we've been talking about the church for these weeks, friends, you're not the church if you don't know Him. If you don't have a relationship with Him. Have you got that settled for yourself? If not, then I'm going to encourage you to take the connection card I referenced earlier. On the back side, there's a line that says, I, w- I want to find out about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And just mark that so it will come to me and we can follow up with you about that. help you to see what's involved in that. Do you have the heart and the qualifications to serve as a leader? Friend, if you do, we need you to lead. And some, you know, go through periods of thought, well, it's somebody else's turn, or I've done my part, or whatever. In my mind, friends, none of that thinking matters. I'm sorry, it just doesn't matter. The only thinking that matters is, Father, what is your pleasure for this life that's in your hand for this coming season of ministry? What do you want, Lord? I am yours. That's the only thing that matters. And if you're someone that has a heart for leadership and you have the qualifications for leadership and you've been a little more on the sideline or you've had a really low-level kind of involvement then friend, we need you to be responsive to how God might call you in these coming months. And then I'll say finally, do you submit to and honor church leaders? You go, well, Scott, it's easy for you to ask since you are one. You don't want to... No, I'm in submission to other leaders. I honor other leaders. I'm not excluded from that. So do we submit to and honor the leaders that God has placed in our lives? Let's pray about that together. So Father, we sense that you wanted us to consider these matters today and we've tried to do that faithfully. Now we pray for your spirit to be at work in us that we might be responsive to you in ways that delight you and form Christ in us. We pray in His name. Amen.